following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Galatians 5, at verse 22, reading through 26, as we continue this study, hear God's word. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, please give us understanding to your word as we seek to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to this concluding part of chapter 5 as we continue through this great epistle. We've been looking over the last few weeks in this concluding part of chapter 5 in the subject of walking in the Spirit. This passage, which contains the listing of the fruit of the Spirit, is well known, I'm sure, to many of us. Probably, if I gave you a quiz, most of you could list off the fruit of the Spirit by heart, fast. But don't we all know that memorizing this list and reciting this list is far from living this list? We've noticed over the past two weeks as we've studied this portion on life in the Spirit that the context here is the Spirit-filled life, we would say, walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. We'll see keeping in step with the Spirit, fighting the flesh by the power of the Spirit, this warfare in which we find ourselves as new creations and yet with remaining sin. We've seen how that Spirit-guided walk calls us to turn away from and be repenting of all these works of the flesh that are in the verses preceding the ones that we've just read, this long list of the works of the flesh that are just representative of, of more that aren't listed there as well. But this evening, we want us to explore this more positive side, we might say, of walking in the Spirit so that we increasingly, by the Spirit's power, bring forth in our lives the fruit that is from Him, the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at this under three points. The first is the fruit that the Spirit produces. It's Spirit-produced fruit. Secondly, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit as something we are commanded to cultivate. And then thirdly, producing that fruit in daily specific circumstances of our lives. We want to look at each of these main points as we look through our text. First, then, we see the fruit of the Spirit is Christ-like character that the Spirit of God graciously produces in us. The fruit of the Spirit is Christ-like character that the Spirit produces in our lives. 
Here, these fundamental Christ-like character qualities are listed as spirit-imparted graces. They're the Spirit's fruit. There's this organic connection, we might say, that the Spirit brings them forth by His power, by the very life of the Spirit dwelling in everyone who is born of the Spirit. As we'll later on see elsewhere, we'll, we are also, uh, these, all these could be seen as given to us as commandments. Love one another, rejoice in the Lord, live at peace with each other, and so on. But here, in this section, the emphasis is on the Spirit's work. We've seen in verses 16 and 17 that the section is introduced with this calling to walk in the Spirit, and so not to gratify the desires of the flesh. And we've, we've looked at uh, walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. And so, it's repeated twice here that, in a sense, that those who are led by the Spirit are not under law, or as verse 23 ends, against such things there is no law. It's not saying that the Christian is elt from under the moral law of God. No, the Christian delights in the moral law of God. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments, and my commandments are not burdensome. But it's as we saw a few weeks ago, those who are led by the Spirit, they don't in a sense, almost need the law because they delight in the law of God. Yes, we need to be instructed by the law, but Paul is saying a life lived in the Spirit is not merely keeping the law. There's no such law against someone who walks in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Spirit-produced graces. Now, this should not make us passive in our Christian walk, our Christian life, as if we somehow just sit back relax. The Spirit does it all, right? Just let Him do it. No. Yes, the Spirit produces it, but we know that the very context here is talking about spiritual warfare. There's a fight of faith. The flesh is very active. The Christian life is active. It's a race. It's a battle. There is spiritual warfare. But this listing of graces as the fruit of the Spirit shows us our utter dependence on the Spirit's power, and that gospel obedience is not mere moralism. It's not moralistic in the sense that, well, God just tells us His will, and we try to do it. That's mere moralism, the idea that religion or Christianity is rules, and we do those. That's not what Christianity is at all. If we're approaching it in a moralistic way, then we're not standing in the gospel and continuing to trust Jesus Christ as our great Savior and the one who graciously and continuously works in our lives. Speaking of these Christ-like virtues as fruit highlights the connection to grace, to regeneration, that we're born of the Spirit, that those who belong to Jesus Christ by faith are being transformed by that vital and living union to Jesus Christ, that we are in Christ and He dwells in us by His Spirit. And the Bible tells us that since we have been sealed with the Spirit unto the day of redemption, we will begin to show the evidence in our lives of the Spirit powerfully dwelling within us. We could talk a bit in terms of family resemblance. Don't we 
like to talk about family resemblance. If you're a grandparent, you already know what I mean about this. You just love to see that that grandchild looks like, you know, great-granddad so-and-so. Amazingly, you can tell that when they're only six weeks old. Um, Some of you teenagers might kind of think this idea of family resemblance is kind of scary. Um, Don't tell me I look like mom or dad. And it's fun to see how children act like different ones of their parents, of their mom and dad. And it's fun as I see families over the years. I've been here for almost 20 years now and see children grow up in the church and you just see family traits come out. It's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a neat thing. I'm sure there's lots of variety here and sometimes children look and act very differently from parents. But we all know what this means to have family likeness. And so it is, the Bible is saying, with children of the living God, by the Spirit of God, we begin to show the family likeness. And by the way, if you want to know what these virtues really look like or ought to look like in practice, look at Jesus Christ, our elder brother, our great high priest. The Scripture shines the light on who Jesus Christ is from beginning to end and his character, who he is, and enables us to see what this looks like as it's spelled out in life, in his life. But also in a secondary way, in the body of Christ, we can look at other Christians and see what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. And for example, Philippians 3.17, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's a very humbling thing, but we know we ordained and installed officers of the church this, this morning, and, and elders and deacons are called to be exemplary. We know that they're not perfect by any means, but they're to exemplify to some degree the fruit of the Spirit, the character of their Lord. And so we can say with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ, however failing I am. And we are as leaders in the church. And so the Spirit is growing and imparting the character of God within us, and we praise Him for that. But the application of this first point comes in this way. We must pray for God to do His work in us and actively depend on the Spirit's power. Just turn back a page or two to, if, to Galatians 3, verses 2 to 5. Just reminding you that this theme of life in the Spirit, walking by faith, by the power of the Spirit, is what we've been seeing throughout this book, chapter 3 at verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, he's saying the way to go on in Christian life is by faith, not by legalistic requirements. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you you now perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you, and he goes on, notice it's present tense. God supplies the Spirit. Yes, we've been given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit dwells in us, but there's also a sense in which Jesus Christ Our great high priest continues to pour out his spirit upon his people, the church. He supplies present tense continuously. And we're we're to be seeking the Lord and asking him for his help. Turn over to chapter 5 at verse 5. 
For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. There's a summary of faith works through love. Love is the fruit of faith in Christ. But notice he introduces that theme by saying, through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await. We eagerly await for that righteousness, the the full glorification that is yet to come. But we continue growing in that, looking ahead to that last day. That is by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. Maybe you've been reading a lot about the research and development that's going on for self-driving cars, you know, out in one of the western states. There are cars on the road somewhere at some point in time that are driving by the computer and the GPS. It's kind of a, to some of us, kind of a terrifying thought to think that there are going to be cars whizzing around on the road sometime without anyone behind the wheel. I don't know if it's ever going to come to that. We're kind of used to autopilot with airplanes. We know that takes place. But I bring that up because autopilot is never the way the Christian life is to be led. It's not good in the Christian life. And often we go into autopilot, don't we? Just kind of, you know, put it on cruise control. And there is a very real sense, a danger of that. And that's why I think this passage on living in the Spirit is so important and applicable to our daily walk with Christ. There's a real sense that daily we need to be looking to Jesus Christ. Daily, We need to be trusting in the Spirit's power. We need to be humbly asking our God, according to His gracious promise, to give us greater measures of the Spirit's blessing and power. We can never pray that prayer too often. And it's not an unbelief that we pray that. It's seeking for God's blessing. We aren't denying that we're indwelt by the Spirit and that we're sealed by the Spirit. But we are asking for new and daily experience of the Holy Spirit's power and blessing in our lives because daily we are in need of His grace and we need to be praying for it. So the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit should drive us to our knees for the Spirit's power. And that should be a daily, sometimes moment-by-moment prayer on our hearts. Secondly, the fruit of the Spirit is Christ-like character we are commanded to cultivate. It's Christ-like character we are commanded to cultivate. We're commanded to do the fruit of the Spirit. We're commanded to be the fruit of the Spirit. We're commanded to carry out the fruit of the Spirit and to think the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 24 gives us insight about this. After listing the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We've just seen all the works of the flesh, now the fruit of the Spirit. What is he saying here? Some say that this is referring to our union with Christ in his death and resurrection, that in regeneration we've been united to Christ in his death. And certainly that is a biblical teaching. Look at Romans 6. Our union with Christ in his death and resurrection is at the very heart of our sanctification, we would say. But even that's true and glorious, 
that union in Christ's death is never spoken of in Scripture as something that we do or have done. We died with Christ. We were passive in that. We did not carry that out. Verse 24 has this idea of an active sense. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. And I go with commentaries that speak of this as something different, speaking in terms of what happens at conversion, not God sovereignly putting us in Christ and dying and rising with Christ. But it's more limited. It's not referred to as much in Scripture. It's a way of talking about that decisive renunciation when we come to faith in Christ, when we repent of sin and turn to Christ. There's a a definitive renunciation of the way of sin. And then, throughout the Christian life from then on, we continue to reaffirm that in a multitude of ways, in a multitude of temptations, and every day there's that continual reaffirmation of this renunciation of the way of sin with many ups and downs. In other words, it's speaking here of this decisive repentance when they came to Christ. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. And then you have to keep the flesh on the cross. It's, it's screaming to get down off the cross. And it wants to enter your heart and life in a powerful way and transform you according to the works of the flesh. And Paul is saying, you've done that decisively. And then he's going to say, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And verse 25 highlights our responsibility as well here. If, or we could translate it since, if as indeed it is true, since we live by the Spirit, Paul says, then there's an obligation on us. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. John Stott talks about the idea that keeping in step with the Spirit has the sense of lining up with the Spirit, like lining up in a row and walking with the Spirit according to His will. Scripture speaks of this in various ways, this whole idea of cultivating the fruit of the Spirit by keeping all these commands to do these, very, these various things. And verses 24 and 25 highlight are responsible to walk as the Spirit directs us, as we've already committed ourselves through faith in Christ. In fact, if you look through Ephesians 4 and 5, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Philippians 2, Colossians 3, verse after verse after verse, I could list time after time where Scripture takes the fruit of the Spirit and puts them in command form. Love one another. Rejoice always. Philippians is full of that. So joy is a fruit of the Spirit, but rejoicing is a command. Rejoice. We're called to find joy in God. So both are true. Do you see what I'm saying? Point one highlights the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. He's the preeminent instrument of producing this fruit. But we need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to seek to obey the commandment to rejoice and to love and to be at peace with one another and to be kind to one another. That's another command. Be patient with one another. Bearing with one another in love. That's called forbearance. When people sin against you, bear with them. Or be self-controlled. That's repeated over and over again. We could look at almost each one of these nine fruit of the Spirit. And the list don't always have the exact same nine things. There's other commands as well. 
The fruit of the Spirit, then, is something we must actively seek to put on, to live out. Let me just read one text, and that's uh, Colossians 3.12. Here it says it this way. Put on, then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. It goes on to describe it. You see, there they're all given to us as active commandments to put into place. And again, this is not merely a moralistic approach. Do these things. Keep God's law. But we're talking about spirit-empowered, Christ-centered, gospel-based, and Christ-glorifying obedience as we trust in Him. And very often in our Christian walk, we will not feel very spirit-empowered. We often feel weak and in need of God's grace, and that's very good. God wants us to be there. God wants us to be at His throne of grace seeking Him. He wants us to be dependent on Him. Now we're back to point one again. But we must also seek to put into practice His will. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And don't we know the feeling, Lord, I love you, but here I am on my face again. And so, this keeping of God's commandments involving the fruit of the Spirit involved daily repentance where we see our sin and trusting in Jesus Christ anew. Or we, in the words of the hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I debated whether to share this illustration with you just because it humbles me to have to tell these kinds of stories. But I was driving down Lydda's Pike. Why are they always driving stories? But here's another one from this week. Driving Lydda's Pike from Lydda's, and you know at Stauffer's at the light, it goes from two lanes into one. And if you know the road well, you know you need to be in the left lane because everybody lines up in the left lane because the right lane is going to end. So I was coming down there the other day, minding my own business, no one else in the car with me, and just, I was about five or six cars back, just, you know, moving out, the light turned green, we all start to go, and there's always some hot shot in the front. You don't, you want to watch it if you're in the front, who's going to cut in front of all that whole line, and that's fine, we don't mind that. And, um, but when you're five or six cars back, you're just not expecting things like this. So, we're starting to accelerate out the light, and just then, like, a bat out of some strange place, this car zooms in and cuts in just like two inches in front of me, and I have to hit the brake pretty hard. And it turns out it was a she. I didn't know at the time. She cuts right in, and I'm trained well enough, sanctified to a certain level that I didn't beep at all. I didn't blow the horn. Just, okay, you know, I was glad that there wasn't an accident, but it was dangerous. You know, these kind of things occur. Dr. Rogers has talked about these are the kind of things that men do in their youth and, you know, those kind of things. We don't do this when we're old. But here's my point about this. Okay, my meditation from that light to the next light I went this way. I started to think, wouldn't it be really nice if, if that person turns off before I do, if I just lay on the horn as they turn, just really hard and probably surprise them because I had that done to me earlier this year. I don't know what I did wrong, but somebody, I turned off, and they beeped at me really hard. I thought, I didn't, I still don't know what I did wrong. 
I didn't think I did anything wrong, but, and I just was finding this meditation sweet, just because I really wanted, first, I think I wanted justice. I wanted to warn them that this is not the way to drive. Someone's going to get hurt, and I would administer that justice by doing that. And then I knew that my, my heart was going wrong because I was wanting revenge somehow. Now, to the next light, that was what my meditation was. But then after that light, I knew I had to do what I'm speaking about here. After all, I was going to preach this week on the fruit of the Spirit. And the Lord was giving me opportunities for this. So I knew, I knew I'd already thought about this and written notes about this. And I knew that I needed to repent of my heart, which wasn't naturally producing the fruit of the Spirit. And I needed to look to Christ because I didn't have it in myself to have a heart of grace and patience and love. I just started praying and asking the Lord to give me that. And by the time we were down at Brethren Village, where that light is at that little shopping center there, the person did turn off. And by then, I didn't have any inclination to lay on the horn. It was the work of God. But I'm just sharing that illustration with you. It's humbling to me to do that, because you see that my heart can be very wrong. But that's the kind of daily way that we grow in grace. We have to do business with God. We have to be repenting of our wrong desires, our wrong inclinations that are not spirit-imparted. They're works of the flesh, and we need to be asking Jesus Christ. And so we do that again and again and again and again in all kinds of different settings, in all kinds of different circumstances, big and small, great life trials and tragedies and hardships and all the little ordinary kind of things like this. And that's how we grow in Christ. But my point is the Holy Spirit is at work in us, building us up daily in faith in Christ and shining His light on the Word of God and showing us the glory of Christ and imparting more deeply these virtues and graces in Christ. But as the Spirit does all that, we must keep in step with the Spirit. We must keep cultivating these Spirit-produced graces. It's like the gardening analogy that I know you've heard many times. You know, we plant the seeds and water and tend the soil and weed and all these things fertilize, but we know that ultimately it's God who makes things grow. That's a very good analogy for the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We have cultivating to do. We have weeding to do. The Lord is at work. And so it is with spiritual fruit. And as I described that illustration I just gave to you, and as I talk about this, I would just say, if you're a stranger to heart repentance and daily trust Jesus Christ, maybe you've been going to church a lot in your life, but it's all external things. It's just paying your dues to God. If there's nothing of this inward heart walk with God that you are believing in Jesus Christ day by day, that you see His hand in your life, that you're turning away from all the different ways of sin that come across your path as you trust Him, sometimes falling on your face, yes, yes, but always knowing you stand in the righteousness of Christ. If you don't understand that at all, then maybe you've never come to trust Jesus Christ at all, and you need to give Him your life initially for the first time and begin this walk of faith. Well, that brings us to our our final point. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in daily, specific circumstances. 
Notice that this section on life in the Spirit concludes with a very practical and pointed application to the Galatian church. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He's talking about very specific sins in the life of the church. And if you notice, if you turn back to the verses before verse 16, if you turn back to verse 15, the same thing, the concluding verse there in this area is, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. There was bad stuff going on in the church there. Problems of pride and conceit and envy and division and self-serving. And, you know, this, these words, bite and devour, are very strong words. By the way, this kind of statement makes me very grateful that we can have a congregational meeting like last week. When we talked about a strategic plan, when we, when we really uh, didn't necessarily agree on every exact thing that was being said, but there was a real spirit of cooperation and prayer and seeing God's hand at work, it's a beautiful thing. I, I just am amazed and blessed that over all these years that I've been in the life of this church that really there hasn't been great division and strife. Yes, we all need to watch out for these things, but we've been greatly blessed that way as a church. But here's my point. The fruit of the Spirit, these nine fruit of the Spirit are pretty obvious. Notice context here. There were very specific applications to the Galatian church that they needed to apply these things to their lives. What I'm saying is that I'm sure all of us agree in theory with the nine fruit of the Spirit. How can you argue against the fruit of the Spirit? But when does the test come? The test comes for all of you this week in daily specific situations. When the Holy Spirit puts His finger, His convicting Spirit on something in your life, and maybe it's in the area of love, that there's essentially an enemy in your life at your job or even in your own home that you are called to lovingly give of yourself and show love. Or maybe it's in the area of joy and rejoicing, even in a time of suffering in your life. And that's not easy to do. You need the power of the Spirit to rejoice in God in something like that. Or maybe it's in the area of peace, when you're tempted to quarrel and fight and get angry about something, about with someone in the sphere of your life right now. And even as I talk about these things, probably there's at least one or two areas that the Holy Spirit is going to put His finger on in your life. Patience. When God puts someone into your life that is difficult to be forbearing with, and maybe someone's specific name comes to mind, that's the Spirit convicting you. Or kindness. I was thinking about that this week. Is, is it all that difficult to be kind to someone who is kind to you? And we all know, no, that's pretty easy, really. If somebody's really kind, then I can be kind back. It's not hard. An example would be if you go to a restaurant and a waitress waits on you, and she does everything perfectly. She's always there at just the right time, and the food's really hot and everything. Is it hard to be kind to her? No, right? You probably give her a good tip. But what if the waitress has an attitude, and you don't know why? Then you start, you know, maybe struggling a little bit with the fruit of the Spirit. Well, take it a point further. What about family life? What about people you work with all the time and that you're close to? You know, the more, the closer the relationship, the more, the greater the temptation, because the more self-sacrifice is called for. 
So family life, you know, there's lots of illustrations from that. You probably remember the Mary Poppins song about George Banks, and he goes home, and he's singing his little song about his slippers and pipe are ready for him in his easy chair, and the kids are tucked in bed as soon as they say goodnight to him. And that's, you know, that's how he envisions life. Well, anyone who's been a parent knows that's not normal life in the home. Life is messy. We could talk about goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, maybe an area of self-control in your life. What I'm saying is this. There are going to be lots of specific circumstances in your life when you will have ample opportunity to learn more deeply what it means to trust the Lord and to keep in step with the Spirit. And that's how it's going to be all the weeks for the rest of your life, all the days for the rest of your life. As long as God gives you life on this earth, the circumstances will change. But if you belong to Christ, you will continue growing in Christ, but you will never end having to face daily tests and trials that God is sovereignly appointing for you for this very purpose of Spirit-produced fruit. That is what He is doing in the believer's life to the glory of God. And so you will be growing more and more in godliness and holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit through many trials and temptations, through many ups and downs, but that is all part of God's good plan for each of us who belong to Him. To Him be the glory. Amen. Father, we don't like that there has to be warfare every day. Sometimes the days don't seem too bad, but we wonder sometimes if that's because we are dull of heart and half asleep in our walk with You. And we know that You are very gracious to us, but the Word of God tells us that As a true father, you discipline those who belong to you. And we know that we need that. It's a sign of your love for us, that we might be partakers of your holiness. And we know that means that's not the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's the practical holiness of growing in Christ. And so as we see our failures this week, as we see our need for you, help us to call upon you. Help us to be repenting after the fact and during the fact and even looking ahead in prayer, praying for situations that might be before us this week that we know you're going to need, we're going to need your strength. Help us to seek you with our whole heart that Jesus might be praised. We pray in his name. Amen.